0: Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Mr. Bo Hines, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am doing very well, sir. Thank you for taking the time to, uh, to join us out here, man. It is a pleasure and an honor absolutely thanks for having me absolutely sir um so i just want to make sure that you've got context uh for anything everything so if you got any questions that you can ask that and then we're just going to dive into uh we're just going to dive into bo Hines, man and, and uh, we're all big supporters so um awesome. we this you know group of young men so i live out here in, in northern california i've got schools uh that that i own and when i say schools um they are something very different than school as, as we know it. Um, We've got guys, you know, our young heroes are starting their own businesses. They're taking on apprenticeships, internships, they're taking on responsibility on campus. They're driving their own journey. Um, We're making superheroes um, out of, out of young people. The young men that we have on here with us uh, are committed to the Apogee program, which is 12 months. Tim Kennedy, if you're familiar with him, uh, a buddy of mine. So Tim and I uh, created this program to bring good men like yourself on and uh, every week get to mentor these young men who for 12 months, they take on projects and challenges um, that other young men just are not taking on uh, to, to become the leaders that we need so desperately sure. uh, in this country, man. And so that's what these guys are committed to. So you've got a bunch of really solid young men um, and they'll have some questions for you as well. So.
1: That's awesome. I'm yeah, excited. Man. Yeah. You guys will have to forgive me. I'm traveling today, and I'm at my in-laws, and we have dogs running around. So if you hear that's, any barking, that's uh, we'll, awesome, man.
0: No, no worries. Where, where uh, in, are you
1: still in NC right now, or are you somewhere? I else? am. Yeah, I'm in North Carolina. Okay. My uh, my in-laws live basically 45 minutes north of Charlotte, um, which is okay. pretty far away from my district. Yeah, but, uh, little weekend trip. So Very right now, cool. uh, with the court process, I'm not sure how familiar everyone on this Zoom call is with politics, but North Carolina. We have a very confusing redistricting process. And so right now I'm running for Congress, um, but we actually don't know where our district is exactly. Uh, so we're waiting to find out. Um, now, we have the general idea of where it's going to be, but the courts are battling the state legislation to figure that out. So Got it.
0: Okay. Yeah. So where is the where is the general
1: idea, that general the general area that you think it's going to be? Where is that? I'm so it should be southeast of Raleigh. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with North Carolina geography either, but, uh, Raleigh is basically the Northeast part of the state, um, runs up close to the Virginia line. And so we'll have the Southern part of that running out towards the coast. Got it. Very cool, man. That's awesome.
0: So I love, I love what you're doing. I want to dive into kind of the X-Men origin story of Bo Hines a little bit, um, if you don't mind and just kind of, you know, you growing up as a young man who, what was, what was Bo like? We got a lot of guys on here that are, you know, 12, 13 up to 17, 18, um, you know, what was Bo Hines like around 12, 13 years old? Give us a little of that trajectory.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I can say I was totally focused on sports. Uh, I was a football guy. Yep. And I was trying to make my way. Um, I feel like, you know, around 12 or 13, I was very concerned about my height. I didn't think that I would end up being big enough to play big time collegiate athletics. Um, but you know, everything comes to fruition. And ultimately, you know, I worked really hard at that craft. Um, I found myself had a great football program called Charlotte Christian High School, which is notorious for Stephen Curry going there actually. That's right. The uh, so California connection, but um, ended up playing there. I had a good freshman campaign and I was hurt my sophomore year actually. Came back, had a great junior year and started to receive some scholarships that I could never have even dreamed of. Um, so when I was going through that process, I decided I wanted to stay close to home. I'm uh, a mama's boy. So I wanted to be nearby and I decided to go to North Carolina state and um, you know, when I got there, I worked really hard. I was a mid year enrollee, which meaning I graduated high school early. Uh went there in the spring. And, you know, I, I actually got there and I sat in the room and looked around. And I ended up calling my dad later that afternoon. And I said, uh, I don't know if I'm ever gonna play here, um, but at least I have a free free education. So um, you know, you just I had to put my nose to the grindstone and figure it out. I wasn't the most athletic, uh, wasn't the most naturally gifted, but I did spend the most time in the facility working at the craft. So um Found my way onto the field somehow, a uh, miracle of God, and ended up playing really well. Um, I was a freshman All-American there, and uh, actually ended up being the first freshman All-American ever to transfer uh, after their freshman campaign.
0: Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay, did yeah. not know that. So, and you transferred to, did you transfer to Yale? Was that? I that did, correct? yep. That's right. Okay. And so, what was, uh, the, what was the impetus behind the transfer?
1: Well, you know, I, faith is a huge part of my life, and um, I really felt like God was calling me in a different direction. I honestly didn't feel fulfilled uh, with my time in North Carolina State. I had achieved my wildest athletic dreams, you know, I never expected to play that early. Um, but I realized that, you know, that didn't totally fulfill me. And um, I knew God was calling me to be in a position of leadership. And I wanted a challenge outside of athletics, unlike anything that I've ever had before. Um, so I decided to transfer to Yale. And in my naive brain at the time, I felt like, you know, I would go up there and, and find, you know intellectuals that they would challenge you in every capacity but you know i kind of found myself in an echo chamber which is something that i'll circle back to um, and talk about how important it is to expand you know your horizon make sure the people around you are pushing you in different directions so that you can see the entire picture um but you know I, I battled my way through uh, my beliefs did not align with many of those on that campus but that's okay and you know like scripture tells us, iron sharpens iron and that's what happened to me there you, and honestly What I'll go back to is the fact that if you're going to accomplish anything in life, you have to make sure that you're principally grounded, uh, whatever that is. You know, and circling back to my childhood, my my parents grew up as farmers in rural Indiana um, with really not much opportunity. Uh, My dad was a chicken farmer, mom was a hog farmer in different parts of the state. And um, my dad ended up getting a scholarship to play at Hanover University, play football there. Uh, Which is famous now because it's where Vice President Mike Pence went to school. Right. Um, But he ended up actually getting kicked out of school. He was not the most studious. uh, He was not the most studious uh, wide receiver on the football team. So he ended up leaving there, uh, and he played in the CFL for a year, which is the Canadian Football League. Right. And then ended up playing in the NFL after that. Um, But when he was, I mean, during his time in the NFL, they didn't really make much money. Right. So I think his entire. Uh, rookie season, he ended up making $28,000. He was on the active roster. So that was before the players bargaining agreement and things like that, that have led to these massive contracts that, you know, I grew up with and these kids see today. Yeah, Um, a whole different deal. But he used that money to start a business. And um, that was a licensing apparel company, which brought him to North Carolina. And their niche was basically in the NASCAR community. So they built Racing apparel for different drivers, and they expanded very rapidly outside of that, um, and started to make their own way in the business world. But uh, that company was very successful, so I was able to watch that evolve as a young man, and um, you know I learned a lot of things in that process as well. So, any, was there
0: ever any interest in going into that, going into the family biz in that way? Is that something? <laughs> you are, or no, there's those doggies. There you go. <laughs>
1: it's all good. Yeah. Ever any interest on that? No, there was. But at the same time, I just felt like, you know, I I was being called in a different direction. And, um, you know, no one in my family had ever been politically active. We were always politically acute, politically involved. Um, You know, we kept we kept up with with the process and what was going on. But, um, you know, I wanted a different challenge. I wanted to do something that no one in my family could really help me do. And oftentimes you'll find when you do that, it scares a lot of the people around you that love you mm. um, because you really have to figure it out on your own. It doesn't matter you know, how much influence uh, you have in your family or, or in your inner circle. Um, when you go down a new road, you have, to, you have to find your own path and find your own way. And that was really exciting for me. That's very cool. So talk about that. A lot. I, I like
0: that because I dealt with the same thing. I don't come out of a family of entrepreneurs. And you know, I'm very much a purebred entrepreneur and, and it's, and I had, I just had to have my own, my own thing and multiple things. And so that I very much experienced the same thing. It was a, there was a lot of fear around that. Are you sure you want to give up the, you know, quote unquote security of, you know, the 401k and, and making sure that you're working for the same company for 30 years of your life. And you, you know, very much felt that same thing. What was it that you kind of went, okay, I've got to uh, go ahead and and do this anyways, even if they're scared around there. I've got like, why, why did you have that inside you? What do you think that was
1: that helped develop that for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a motivation and passion to really do things for others. You know, all of my accomplishments were not self-fulfilling. You know, I got to look around and see the joy it brought to other people's faces that had contributed to that success. Yeah. And that's the joy that I really resonated with. Yeah. Um, and so I knew that, you know, being in a position of leadership in whatever capacity would allow me to do that. Um, but I didn't really know what that avenue looked like at the time. Yeah. So uh, when I made the jump to go to Yale, you know, I, I started to dip my toes uh, in the political system a little bit and interned on Capitol Hill and did different things like that. Um, but I really didn't have any connections there. So yeah. I, was, I was trying to meet new people, uh, find different paths that I could take. And um, I realized very quickly when I got up there that, You know there's always this comfort feeling you have as a kid that adults know what's going on right and um, when i started working on capitol hill um, in positions of power i realized that uh, really no one knows what's going on Mm. and that's a scary thing right so um, when you recognize that you want to do something to change it and honestly i was fed up with a lot of the stagnancy and complacency that i saw uh, um, in those positions of leadership in our country i felt like most people were there uh, to go along to get along and you know, they, they, they just wanted to hold their position and stay there forever. And that's not something that really resonated with me. So it was frustrating. And honestly, I had a fork in the road. You know, I, I kind of had to decide, you know, do I want to become a part of this cog in the machine right. um, and do what these guys do? Uh, or do I want to go back to a business world that I'm comfortable with? Um, or I can actually go in, stick my nose in there and try to change something. Yeah. And that's ultimately you know, the path that I chose. But it's a long and arduous one. It is indeed, but you're, you're aligning with some really solid folks too, right? I
0: know we've had uh, Charlie Kirk, um, you know, had, had him on and and some of our guys got to interview Charlie, um, for their, one of their projects, um, that they were taking on. And he's like, man, you guys got to come work for, for turning point. Um, so I know you've gotten to work with Charlie, um, you know, my good friend, Ryan Mickler, uh, is connecting me with Madison, um, yeah. you know, of course that, that's out there with you. So who are some of those? Who are some of those guys that you are excited to align with because you think they're kind of getting that, you know, they got the nose to the grindstone and they're and they're pushing
1: for change. Who are some of those guys you're connected to? Yeah, I mean, Congressman Cotton is doing a fantastic job right now. Yeah. Not only expanding you know, youth interest in in politics, yeah. but also creating a new way for a different type of candidate. Um, and so obviously, you know, us both being young, both being energetic, yeah. uh, we vibe really well together. We've been working together on on this project that's known as a campaign. Yeah. um but we've had a lot of fun doing it um, i mean there's there's a plethora of patriots out there that are really fighting on behalf of the american people i mean marjorie yeah. taylor is doing, is doing a great job in georgia yeah. um, but you just take a beating along the way right yeah. so what you see and how you see these people portrayed in the media is not remotely close to who they are as people and i think right. that we can actually get to understand someone on a deeper level um you can see who they are you can see what they're like where their heart is and actually what they're trying to do um, yeah. so that's one thing that i've really taken time. Um, to do it throughout the course of the campaign is, is find people that I know uh, not only care about our country, but are dedicated to making change. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I've tried to be very selective about even the endorsements that I will take. Mm. Um, for myself, you know, there's, there's a caucus in the House of Representatives called the Freedom Caucus. Um, I feel like my values align closer to that caucus than anywhere else on Capitol yeah. Hill. So I've actually limited my endorsements. I will not accept an endorsement from anyone outside of the Freedom Caucus. Um, and that's that's basically me kind of setting my path, uh, showing people who I am, what my ideological beliefs are. But I could go through a, a I mean the entire list of people in that caucus and pull out, you know, 30 or 40 of those guys that are doing a phenomenal job.
0: That's awesome, man. And and I appreciate that whether you agree with another human being or not, a man that understands um who, you know, and this is kind of where it goes to that whole like trust and admiration, right? Is it's when you Um, stand by the principles that you espouse, and you will not budge from that. Whether you agree with those founding principles or not, you've got to appreciate the integrity of that man to stand behind those principles that he espouses, right? And that's, um, and that's something that I think we see far too little of, you know, before you came on, we were having a conversation about um, Ryan holiday. And one of the books these guys are reading is the obstacle is the way. And, and Ryan mm-hmm. grew up right around the corner from literally where I am now. And I love his books. I love his writings. One of the things we were talking about is there seems to be a disconnect between the the writings of stoicism that he's espousing and kind of where he's standing on on certain things from a political and, and health standpoint right now, there seems to be a little more panic. And so we were saying, do you, does that, make you lose trust for the individual when there is a seeming disconnect, you know, on that. And I've got to imagine in the political arena, you're being, you know, whether pulled, pushed, um, you know, coerced, bribed. I mean, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs, but I imagine that you are being tested on a daily basis to just nudge outside of those ideologies sometimes. Right. Just, ah, just a little bit outside of that. No, you're exactly right. So, and so how do you deal with that? You know, what is, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. And I think that goes back to what I touched on briefly earlier is that you have to have a grounded ideology. You have to be grounded in your philosophy before you endeavor to do anything. Right. I mean, as a politician, you have to sell yourself and you have to sell the values that you have. Mm. You have to sell ideas, which in business, at least you have a product to sell. Right. But, I mean, the same, you have to have the same mindset, regardless of what industry you're in, because you're having to sell something to people. Um, And if you're not genuine, people are very intelligent. They see through that. Yeah. Right. So um, I always say to, especially young people that are looking to get started in any industry, um, make sure you know what you believe before you try to tell others what to believe. Yeah. Um, Make sure that you understand fundamentally, uh, at least... In the industry you're going into why you're doing what you're doing because people are going to ask you and you have to be able to explain it to them in a very cohesive and cognitive manner Mm. right i think that's the, the hardest question a lot of politicians receive is why are you running yep right um and you'll you'll i mean it's laughable how many people will stumble around that question because honestly they can't answer without giving you know a worldly perspective or or a generic perspective that's you know well i feel like we need to make change right um Yeah. I mean, everyone feels like we need to make change. We're constantly looking to improve, but it has to go a lot deeper than that in order for you to connect with other individuals and you have to get them to buy in, right? Whether, whether they're buying a product um, or whether they're buying into your values and and your ideology um, it's, it's always selling.
0: Gosh, so, so good, man. You guys, I hope you understand how powerful that is to be able to articulate that, the why behind, you know, you guys, these guys sign the Apogee code when they first come in. And and it's basically, it's kind of like those seven Bushido values of, you know, being an honorable man Um, and that is part of that is meant, meant to be a rooted foundation for, because they don't all come from the same ideological backgrounds. They don't all come necessarily from the same religious background, but to have that rooted ideology that we can point back to and go, well, look, here's the why, you know, sure. it is so important. And it is something that we have definitely lost. I was in um, LA a couple of days ago with Brian Callen and, uh, and we were talking about this very thing. He says, you know, it's hard for me. What he said was, I'm not, um, he says, I'm not a Christian man, but I have a lot of the same principles, ideologies, and values that you hold in Christianity. And he says, I don't like to see that religion has gone away as much as it has in our society because what it at least did when we had that as a foundation for our families, it was that it allowed us to have a succinct way to go, look, here's kind of who I am and here's what I stand for. And he goes, I have a lot of those same values, but it's harder for me to express that and get people to understand that if they know I also don't come from a religious background. It keeps it kind of more esoteric. And so having that fundamental. So I know your faith is a big, is a big part of that. Is that something that was challenged for you at all, especially as you went into you know, the, the Ivy League, you're at Yale, I know you said there's a bit of an echo chamber, but that you also had different beliefs there. Was the faith... Uh, a part of the echo chamber or was it more a part of the beliefs being
1: uh you know kind of challenged yeah i mean i i think it was a little bit of both um okay. you know i went through this process my senior year in high school where i didn't really know what i believed i was born and raised in the church but i never really grounded myself in my faith and you know i come i come at things from a very logical perspective usually it's just my type of mindset so when I started evaluating myself, I realized that I didn't—I didn't really have a good justification for why I believed what I believed, um, and I actually went on a quest to solve that. So uh, at, I think at a certain point, just you know, wanting to be a rebel as an 18-year-old, which oftentimes we do, sure. um, I was on a quest to prove that that God didn't exist. And what I found was, as I was going through. You know, a lot of different books and a lot of different authors, and I pushed myself to study things I never could have fathomed understanding, like astrophysics, sure. uh, apologetics, philosophy. Um, this broadened my horizon, not only academically, um, but it also helped me find myself and who I was. and actually pushed me back towards my faith. Um, now, when I was a freshman in college, I feel like after that grounding experience, I was prepared to actually take on new challenges, um, worldly challenges that were outside of myself. Yeah. Um, because that's I go back to this principle again but until you understand what you believe you're not ready for a worldly challenge you still have to figure yourself out mm. right um, and you can't be doing both at the same time because no one's going to buy into someone that doesn't have you know principle to give um, and when I got to the Ivy League uh, it was a very shocking experience for a southern kid that was born and raised in North Carolina uh, my entire life I you know I found friends there, um, friends that oftentimes didn't see eye to eye with me on, on ideology, but we had healthy debate and it was a lot of fun. Uh, that being said, I realized how quickly you could be pigeonholed um, into thinking a certain way when you're surrounded by a massive group of people that tells you that you're right all the time, yeah. um, which is what I saw amongst a lot of my peers because it goes back to this go along to get along mentality right. where- you know, they're there to do something else, maybe outside of ideology. They could be focused on computer science. Or they could be focused on, you know, finance and going to work on Wall Street. Um, but they're so focused on that worldly desire that they don't really find themselves throughout the process, mm-hmm. which creates a lot of trouble down the road. Um, mm-hmm. and what I found is that, you know, once I was able to sort those things out, once I was able to actually, you know, figure out you know, what my ideology was, what, what, what are those principles that I wanted to hold near and dear to my heart? Um, I could take on new challenges that I might not have otherwise been prepared for. Right. Um, and in politics, it's really important because you get attacked every day, yep. but it's no different in, in really any other industry. I mean, when you're in business, you have competitors and they're coming after you every single day. Right. Right. Um, the only difference is in politics. Some people, I mean, it's a little bit more personal because it's you yourself.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, right, right. But
1: if, if you are grounded and you're ready to take that on, I mean, nothing can stop you. I mean, you just have to have a get up and go mentality. Um, which is what we do every day. And what I've found in my life, you know, it's just, you know, if you keep banging on the door, the door will open. Mm. Um, even if you don't feel like you have a contact, even if you don't feel like you have a connection, if you just wake up every day with a singular goal of something that you want to achieve, you'll be shocked how oftentimes you'll achieve the goal. True story. And that's, I, I think that's something that a lot of people forget. People get discouraged really quickly, they want to quit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, that's why I've loved this campaign experience so far because there are so many times where I look back and I'm like, oh, we thought we were dead to rights. But we just kept working and kept working through it, kept finding new people. And you'll be stunned just how people come in your life that can really change things on a dramatic scale, right? But all I to do, it goes back to your work ethic and what you're willing to put into it. Um, But so I guess it's really two, it's really twofold good. You have to ground yourself, you have to be principled, but then you have to find a goal that you want to achieve, right, it's so important to set goals. Um, And so when I was actually in high school, I had this big board on my wall and uh, you know, I, I wrote down a list of 10 goals. I think I've accomplished eight of them so far. Two of them I have not had the chance to do yet. But um, one of them I will never have the chance to do because it was get drafted, but I decided to go into politics of pursue a football career. Um, the other one was president of the United States, which I don't know how I'm gonna get there, but it's gonna be a long road, but that's, that's what we're aiming for. And the thing about that is that my political team understands that. So we can operate on a day-to-day basis like we're preparing for the future with that in mind. Um, yep. And then you, when you have a short term goal, that's easily achievable, oftentimes you'll lose sight of, you know, the overarching factor that is pushing you in the direction that you want to go. Um, so that's why I encourage young people, even if they seem lofty, even if they seem like they're unreachable, just write them down and think about them every single day. And it'll set you. I mean, it, it'll really just set you. It'll make you focused on what you have to do on a day-to-day basis to achieve something. Right. So, good, so Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. We talk to these guys, we say it's fire aim ready. You,
0: you're, you're going like, you have to go and you let that determine you're taking action, but you are letting that determine what doors are open, but it starts with that taking action. And I like that you've got these lofty goals. And again, those goals, those principles, that is the stuff that is rooting you so that every decision is filtered through that perspective. Like that's it. It makes decision-making so much easier when that is yes. the nice. And everybody else knows that too, because they stop at, you know, I always got, I went to, uh, I did my undergrad at Chico state university, which is well known in California as being like the, the school to go to, if you're going to go party, right. It's going to be Chico yeah. state. It also happens to be the number one recruited business school because there is so much of that social aspect. People who come out of there tend to be very, very social individuals and, and good at communicating and good at making relationships. Right. Sure. Um, but I went there and I've never had a drop of alcohol in, in my life still to this day at 42, 42. Um, I still, you know, have not, have not uh, partaken in that and no offensive to anybody that has, it's just not anything I've been able to, that I've ever wanted to, uh, to try to tackle. So being at Chico State and not drinking was a weird, it was a weird thing. It was an anomaly for a while, but after a while people stopped asking, right? I got there and was like, Hey man, here, have a beer, have this, have that. And I'm like, man, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't drink. After a while, people just know, and you become the, nobody even, nobody even asks you anymore if you want to drink, because they just know what you stand for and who you are. And it's the same thing when you've got that principle to give, and you've done that consistently. The only conversations you end up having are going to be those things that move forward, because nobody's going to, it's like, man, I can't even, I can't even go to Bo and ask him this because he's just not going to budge, man, the man's too principled, you know, yeah. and that's ultimately where you want to be. No, I think that's super impressive, um, gentlemen. I've got um, a- another quick question that I want to ask Mr. Hines, and, but I want you to go ahead and start putting your hands up uh, as well, and then um, I'll start bringing you guys, um, start bringing you guys into the mix. So as you started diving in, this is just more out of personal curiosity. started diving into, um, you know, philosophy and apologetics, and really figuring out who you were, what you stood for, getting yourself rooted. Um, I always love to ask, like, who who are the people that you
1: liked? to to read or to watch or to listen to yeah so i mean challenging my own beliefs i i loved reading dawkins yeah. uh I, I, I mean i love the four-headed horseman actually yes yeah. which, which if you guys don't know those yeah. are like the most famous uh, atheist philosophers in the world um but on the apologetic side i love people like norman geisler uh, people yeah. like frank Turek. uh they actually wrote a book called i don't have enough don't have faith. faith to be an atheist yeah um, and Frank is a close family friend of ours, but he also does a phenomenal job of connecting with young people that are exploring their faith. Yeah. Um, so it, those are just a few of the people that I've, I've liked cool. to be. I could go on a, a long litany, but- yeah. uh, Very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, gosh, man,
0: I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is, it? It is a
1: phenomenal book. It is. Yeah. I, I guess there's one point I, I also wanted to make. My, you know, my dad used to say this all the time to me when I was growing up is that, you have, to, you have to say no a thousand times to have one chance to say yes to success. Mm. And that's really, I mean, it embodies what it takes to be successful. I mean, there's going to be so many people in your life influencing you in different directions. You know, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. And you have to say no to a thousand wrong things before you can say yes to success. Um, you're constantly going to be challenged. Uh, people are constantly going to be coming after you. And the, and the higher you go, um, the bigger of target you have on your back. So you just have to be even more focused and dedicated to your craft and what you're doing. Yes, sir. Well said, sir. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right about that. Uh, that's one of the reasons that's encouraged me to run. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is surrounding yourselves with people that know you and don't view you as a title, right? So a lot of these guys, they get up there and they encompass themselves in these bubbles to where basically, you know, everyone kisses their feet and tells them how great they are. Um, and they think that they're invincible. When in reality, you know, they're human beings. You know, they put their pants on one leg, one leg at a time, just like me and you do. Um, they, they, they just, they lose sight of the reasons that they got there. And I think, you know, one thing we can do to fix that, and I'm not trying to go on a, on a stump speech here, is I'm a proponent of term limits. I think that um, when you're in Washington, D.C. for 30 years at a time, uh, you, you really don't know what's going on in your community anymore. And I also think a lot of politicians lack imagination. I mean, you go up there, you learn so many different things. Um, why not take those back to your community and serve in a different capacity? Why do you have to have an office to feel like you're important, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, you, you can do incredible things in your community without being elected to a certain position. And I feel like if more of our politicians had that mindset, we'd actually have, one, a cycle that's healthy for our country. Um, fresh ideas, fresh voices, fresh faces. But two, we would have people that are actually dedicated to service. So I know that's a long-winded way of answering your question, but I think it goes back to, you know, you are the company that you keep. And when these guys get up there, there's a lot of grifters. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term. Um, there's a lot of consultants. There's, you know, ideological perspectives that are, are, are different and lobbyists and people pushing you everywhere. Um, the longer you stay there, the more susceptible you are to being entrapped. So uh, that's just, that's what it boils down to in reality.
0: Mm. Yeah. Thank you, sir.
1: Well said, sir. All right.
0: Kaleo, you're up, sir. Sir, I was wondering
1: what skills have helped you most in taking you to the place you are today and helping you become the man you are today? It's a great question. I Honestly, I think what's really allowed me to be successful in my young life is that I've always forced myself to do the things that I didn't want to. And I actually found myself doing this uh, in the gym when I was training for football. I realized that you know, if there was an exercise I didn't like, and I had that thought process in my head and I recognized it, I would force myself to do that exercise until it was the thing I was best at. And I do the same practice in my life today. So now on the political side, um, unsurprisingly, we have to do a lot of fundraising. And that means I have to make cold calls all the time. So at the beginning of this process, I realized very quickly, I didn't love doing this because some people were not very nice to you on the phone. And I, I forced myself to get in the habit of, of doing it and, and learning how to be good at it. So I think if you can catch yourself shying away from something that you know is good for you, just dive into it and you'll find that not only will you become better at it, you'll start to like it as well. The big tech, you know, I think that freedom of speech um, is the absolute cornerstone of our society and our republic here. And I think it's absolutely imperative that everyone has access to the public square. Um, or whether or not you, you agree or disagree with somebody, they have the right to voice their opinion. And I think when we start suppressing speech, We lose sight of who we are as a country, um, which is you know welcoming. It's it's diversity, right? It's making sure that you know everyone has the opportunity to share their opinion on a matter, and it also allows us to explore the best options. So, I I don't want to get too deep into you know the nitty-gritty of what's happening right now, but basically, with big tech platforms, they're censoring people left and right. Um, it, It becomes a scary thing where they start creating their own echo chambers, and that becomes you know the new public square, which silences. You know, vast—I'm not going to say majority, but a vast number of American voices uh, that should have access to it. So, um, I just think that's perilous for democracy. It's perilous for a republic. And so, I, I know that you know myself and others in my class will be focused on addressing that as soon as we get to Washington.
0: Mm. Thank you, sir. I look forward to seeing. It. Beautiful. Oh, that's fantastic, Parker. Go ahead, sir.
1: So, thank you for coming on here, and my question for you is, in your opinion, what defines maturity? Um, I think maturity is defined by knowing who you are. Um, you know, I think that's a process that young people have to go through. I also don't think it's one that you should rush, and I know that sounds uh, you know, kind of counterintuitive, but it'll happen naturally so long as you're searching for it, so long as you're searching for truth. I mean, truth is the most important thing that we have. and I will say there is absolute truth and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There's also absolute right and wrong. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, There is not this gray area that exists. And if you live your life in terms of relativity, that is immaturity. Um, Because you actually are not searching for, you know, the answer. You're saying I'm okay with not knowing. And I think if you're on a quest to know not only things about yourself, but absolute truths about the real world, then you're a very mature person. Mm -hmm. And can accept the consequences of those, right? Because oftentimes it's easy to shelter ourselves from the truth um, because we, we really don't want to abide by it, right? Or we don't, we don't want to acknowledge it and how it affects ourselves personally. So um, if you can accept the truth, uh, even when it creates a negative consequence for yourself, that's, that's being extremely mature. Ooh, ooh, I love that.
0: And I, I love that you, you talk about the consequences of that too, because when we're talking about the absolutes, you guys talking about right and wrong, um, there are. There are certain issues that are just black and white, and the reality is, in a world that is now, you know, screaming um, tolerance, which we end up seeing is the most intolerant, uh, you know, thing of all. When you are willing to stand in that absolute truth, you are going to get pushback. We get. Um, you know, I've had uh, publications that have contacted me and they want to know about what we're doing here with, with Apogee, And then the next iteration of, of this, we've got the mentorship program. We're creating Apogee U, um, which is going to be a pipeline that funnels towards male run businesses that espouse the same kind of values and honorable um, concepts that we are talking about here in the program. And so people are already, okay, well for you live in this patriarchy right and so why would you be you know adhering to this when you're you're here helping male run company all companies are male run and um I'm sorry this is just for young men um what happens if there is a woman who identifies as a man is she able to join no she's not how intolerant is that well no it's it's completely tolerant i'm i'm saying this is this is right this is wrong i will do anything in my power to help that young woman but i will not play into a delusion so there is always pushback that is that is there what kind of uh, pushback have you gotten in some of your you know being able to
1: stand for some of this these principles yeah i I, I think that you touched on one um but really whenever you stand for truth there are going to be people that come after you Mm uh whenever you stand for what's right people are going to come after you because it threatens their false perception that what they're doing is justified Mm -hmm. right so um, if you threaten someone's lifestyle, or they perceive you threatening their lifestyle, they they start to attack, and I think that that also shows you when you're over the target. We always laugh on our team because whenever we're attacked uh, extremely hard, we're like, "Oh, well, obviously, you know, this this poked the bear and this yeah, this got right. um Because they don't have a good argument back for it, right? So, um, you know, it's one thing to explore and debate, especially on nuanced issues, because I think oftentimes it takes a long time to get to the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some things, like you said, are just completely black and white. Yes, and you can't be afraid to take a stand on those issues, even if it you know, upsets people around you. Um, because if you continue to do that, it goes back to the question about what happens to politicians in Washington. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's not like one day they wake up and they say, oh, now I'm going to be an unprincipled politician that sells out my district and sells my soul uh, just to stay up here to you know, maintain my position of power. They start sacrificing on little things and they justify it to themselves, right? So this happens over decades at a time. And then by the time they leave DC, they're a shell of who they once were when they got there. Um, so, I mean, this, this can happen to you in your personal life as well. It's not just politicians. So don't, don't say, and that's why we come back to this thing again, which I continue to harp on. Find what your principles are. Yeah. And then don't, don't, sell, don't sell them out. Don't sacrifice on those. I'm not saying that no one can ever change your mind. If someone gives you, you know, logical justification for why they believe what they believe and you get to think through it for a long time and decide, well, you know, I think that's actually a decent point. I might shift my position. That's OK. That's healthy. Right. But don't let that you know, affect who you are and, and your principle itself. Just you have to be grounded in something. And that's why I'm going to continue to say that. Absolutely. No, well said, sir.
0: You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow join the apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com for inquiries contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com thank you for listening to essential 11 shaping
1: leaders among leaders stay tuned for more episodes